welcome back to Activity Quest, the podcast that's packed with stuff to do. This week, Adam's off to ZSL Whipsnade Zoo to spy some rhinos, penguins, and even some tigers. Plus, we're getting crafty again and checking in with Meg, because we'll be making some maracas. My name's Bex, and every episode of Activity Quest starts with a fun kids presenter doing something awesome. This week, Adam's visiting a zoo. Adam, what's going on? My name's Jane Store, and I'm a senior keeper here at ZSL Whipsnade Zoo. Today we're going to be uh, giving a mid-morning snack to our chimpanzee group. So we've got six chimpanzees here at Whipsnade. We've got four boys and two girls. The dominant male in our group is Nicky, who you can see sat in the middle there with his arms crossed waiting for his food. Um, and then we've got a f- an extended family group. We've got uh, the... Um, our breeding female, our dominant female, Bonnie, and her um, sons, Phil and Elvis. And then we've got cousin Grant and sat right in the middle there with the grey whiskers and the grey fur on her back is Auntie Coco. Oh, nice. And we're feeding them tomatoes. We are. We're giving them tomatoes. Like I say, it's a mid-morning snack for them. They've already had their breakfast. Uh, We tend to feed them five or six times a day. We feed them in different places, in different ways. We present the food either by throwing it over or hiding it in the paddock for them or putting it inside puzzle feeders for them things to try and stimulate them things to try and make well a little food go a long way to keep them occupied and also just to give them that that stimulation that they would get in the wild if they were foraging for their own food better hurry up this one's stomped yeah. on the ground <laughs> they, are, um, they are ready and waiting aren't they? hi my name's uh, liam patalo um, i'm a visitor activities uh, team leader here at whipsnade which means i'm part of the presenter team uh, so we do talks about all of our amazing animals uh, we've got our lovely troop of chimpanzees here in front of us currently so we've got six individuals uh nikki elvis bonnie um I've lost track of which ones I introduced because they walked away from me. But it's fine because Jane said them as well. Uh, now, when a lot of people come round here, it's quite common you'll hear someone say, oh, look, there are some monkeys. But these guys, uh, they're not actually monkeys. They're apes, which is the same family that us as humans also belong to. Uh, an easy way to tell that is if you look at them and you look at any people you might come with, be it friends or family, you know, it's that these guys don't have tails. Monkeys do. Typically, apes like ourselves and chimps are a little bit bigger than our monkey cousins as well. And also, we are seen as being more intelligent as well, uh, both in terms of our intellect and also in terms of social behaviours as well. There's a really cool thing that our chimps can do that we can do too, which is they can recognise each other by looking at each other's faces. But it takes them a little bit longer to figure out who they're looking at if they're looking at someone's face that's upside down, which is the same issue we have. What's quite funny about our chimpanzee cousins compared to us is they can do this kind of recognition recognition not just from looking at each other's faces but also by looking at each other's bums as well but it's the same principle that if the bum is upside down it will take them a little bit longer to figure out who they're looking at which is quite funny the chimpanzees they can be quite a good catch as well Um, and one thing they do do is if they don't like uh, they don't tend to do it with food but if they don't like you they are quite good at throwing things back as well they do tend to have their favorites though there are some things like coco sat over in the far left there Um, she's not keen on corn on the cob i don't know why all of the others really like it it's really sweet but if you throw that over she'll just let it drop at her feet and just go no 
not for me. In front of us currently, we have one of our two rhino species um, here at Whipsnade. So there are five rhino species in total, two in Africa, the white rhinos who we have here at Whipsnade uh, and the black rhino. And then there are three Asian species, the Javan rhino, the Sumatran rhino, and the ones we have here at Whipsnade who are called the greater one-horned rhino, sometimes just known as the Asian rhino, because uh, of the three in Asia, they're the ones by far doing the best. So there's about 3,900 of them left in the wild. Sadly, the Javan and the Sumatran, there's actually fewer than 100 individuals. Uh, we have our seven rhinos uh, here, uh, white rhinos here at Whipsnade. You've got our youngest, Nandi, who's just over a year and a half old. Her name actually means sweet one in Afrikaans. Uh, it's very apt for her. She's very playful when you see her running around. You'll often see her next to her mum. That's Tully. You've also got her dad living with her as well. He's our one male. His full name is Nishwa, but we like to call him Sizzle. And then there's four other adult females as well. You've got Bertha, Megumi, Fahari and Jazeera. You can tell them all apart by looking at their horns because they will look a little bit different. Their horns do actually grow at about five centimetres a year. Uh, so we're constantly kind of updating our photos to show this is the easiest way to tell our individuals apart. Now, with the name white rhino, it can surprise a lot of people to come over here and go, ah, those rhinos are clearly grey. Uh, and if you were to go to another zoo or to places in Africa and see the black rhinos, you'll also notice they're grey as well. Potentially, their name has come around as a bit of a mistranslation of an Afrikaans word, white, spelled W-E-I-T, which means wide. Because the other name for these guys is wide-mouthed rhino. Because if you compare them to all other rhino species, including our other rhinos here at the zoo, they've got a really square jaw. Whereas the other rhinos have like a pointy upper lip, which helps them to browse for food, means they can take food from bushes, low-hanging trees. These guys exclusively graze, which is where you eat lots of grass, essentially, eating food from down the bottom. So having a really square jaw makes grazing really, really easy. But the first people that went over to colonise parts of Africa uh, were predominantly Dutch speakers. So when the Afrikaans language came around, there's a lot of Dutch origins uh, and they used the word wide into white. English speakers then went over, we heard this word white and uh, we're like, ah, we've got a word for that. Uh, so we kind of potentially name the white rhinos there and then we may have called black rhinos black rhinos simply as the other rhino that lives in Africa so have that kind of easier distinguishing between them these are like very big animals but their enclosure is remarkably clean tell me where's all the poo so the poo, it's surprisingly clean because the poo is in a few spaces because these guys will actually mark their territory using their poo. So you'll actually see a few spots dotted around their enclosure where all the poo is piled up in what's called a midden. Because in the wild, females can hold territories of 20 kilometres squared in their big family groups. And actually a big group for a rhino is called a crash, which is a great family name for these guys. This crash will hold this by having those poo piles dotted around. Males, like Sizzle, he would go around a few different females' territories, typically a smaller area of only about three kilometres squared or so, overlapping with different sets of females. And he'll not just top up these poo piles as well, these middens, but he'll also spray as well with his urine. And you'll see him kind of wag his tail when he does that, and he can fire his urine at about six feet. If you look at our rhinos, it's not uncommon that you see animals like magpies and other birds around them as well, because any insects and things like that on our rhinos, you see them try and feed on. Sizzle has been known to be able to hit some of these birds with his urine while he's doing this spaying behaviour, which is very amusing to watch. 
I mean, yeah, that's, that's the most perfect fact I've ever heard. That's a fact, isn't it? <laughs> That'll count. <laughs> Talk to me about flamingos. <laughs> Yeah, so here at Whipsnade, we are home to a flamboyance of rosy flamingos. That's the group name for flamingos. You can call them a flock as well because they are a bird, but flamboyance definitely lives up to the flamingos a little bit better. They're known as rosy flamingos because they are the pinkest of all species of flamingo, but they're also known as the American flamingo and the Caribbean flamingo as well. Come from quite a few places, including Mexico, the Caribbean, and also the kind of north end of South America. When you live in quite a few places, you can have quite a few names as well. Now the most iconic part of our flamingos is that beautiful pink coloration and they get that from their food. So these guys eat quite a lot of crustaceans and also blue-green algae. Both of these are really high in this red colour pigment called beta carotene and that gives their feathers this colour. We currently have a couple of chicks that when they're first born they are grey so they don't have this pink colour and it's only as they start to reach breeding age and during breeding season that they'll gain this lovely pink colour. What's quite funky though is that the parents for the first two weeks or so of the chick being alive they will actually feed uh, the chick with a special type of milk they produce called crop milk. Now crop milk is really high in beta carotene so it has this red colour pigment in it so actually while the parent flamingos are feeding our youngsters they actually get paler Uh, so the kids literally turn the parents grey which is quite amusing. One of our chicks is currently actually being looked after by one of our same-sex pairings. So he's got two dads here at Whipsnade. Uh, we see a lot of same-sex pairings um, in the wild and also in zoos. It's easier to monitor in zoos. Uh, we've got slightly more males than we do females. So just statistically, it's more likely to get two males for our flamingos. But some of our other species, uh, you'll see lesbian pairings as well as gay pairings as well. Our two dads here for our chick have been really successful parents in the past. And they're doing a really good job this year uh, with the chick that they're raising as well which is lovely to see and they do stand on one leg I thought that was always a bit of an urban myth there are a few urban myths about our animals so like some other birds like ostriches hide in their heads in the sand that one's not true you'll sometimes see us lying down with a head really close to the sand which is why they've got that thing but these guys they've got a few useful reasons to stand on one leg scientists aren't really sure which is kind of the primary driver uh, but two of the kind of front runners are firstly to stay warm Um, so you lose your body temperature a lot quicker in water than you do in air so if you're standing on one leg the other one is going to be out of the water you can tuck it against the side of your body will make it stay nice and dry and also keep it nice and warm you can then swap over but the cooler reason that they can stand on one leg is flamingos have the ability to sleep only half of their brain at a time so when the left hand side of their brain is asleep the right hand side of their body just because of kind of how it crosses over will rest so that leg will be out of the water they will then swap over the other side of their brain and other side of their body will go to sleep and they'll swap over which leg they're standing on this is a really useful trick that our flamingos have because it means that at least half of their brain is always going to be on predator watch so if anything's coming a little bit too close uh, that might cause the mischief out in the wild they can make sure to quickly raise the alert and they can all fly away and hopefully stay nice and safe we're standing on a bridge right now over the tiger enclosure and in front of us are two real life tigers 
Yeah, so we've got two Amur tigers here at Whipsnade. The Amur tigers are actually the largest subspecies of tigers, and where ours are both fully grown males, these are actually some of the biggest cats on the planet. They are both four years old. They were born here at Whipsnade uh, back in 2018. Uh, their parents have since gone on to other zoos as part of the European-wide endangered breeding program for these guys. They do have a third brother called Dimitri, who left us just before the summer to go to Woburn Safari Park. Um, to mix with their female tigress called Minerva. But their kind of most ferocious weapon are their teeth, particularly their canines, which are your kind of fangs you've got on either side of your mouth. If you give yourself a cheeky thumbs up, that's roughly the size of a tiger's canine. They've actually got a nerve that runs to the very tip of that tooth, which means that when they're holding a prey animal down by the scruff of the neck, they can actually feel through their teeth and also through their very sensitive whiskers the exact moment that their prey's heart stops beating. Only then will they kind of ease off the tension a little bit, because if they do it too soon and the prey animal's not actually dead yet, the prey will often just run away in the wild and the tiger can't get up to speed quick enough in order to catch it. And yet, even with all of those amazing adaptations, they only actually get their dinner in the wild 10% of the time. So even though they're a really ferocious predator, really good at what they do, they've only got about a 10% success rate. So when they do eat, they sometimes have to eat quite a lot, sometimes gorging up to 45 kilos of meat. Our two boys here have much more regular access to foods. So they tend to have lots of small meals instead, so typically in about three kilos of meat a day that our keepers can give them in different ways, including hanging it at the top of trees, because when these guys, if they can't quite finish a meal out in the wild, they'll store food on the top of a tree. It's called caching, basically a bit like having a fridge, but just on top of a tree to make sure other animals don't get to it. And we can replicate that here by putting food up there so the tigers have to go and get it. Or in the summer, one of the coolest ways we give them food in an enrichment kind of way uh, is to actually basically freeze blood uh, and they get like a big blood ice lolly uh, to enjoy in the summer which is quite wholesome to watch probably not a flavor i'd recommend for humans but our tigers they love it thanks adam you can find out more by searching for zsl now meg is raiding the recycling bin to get a bit musical yep I'm not sure what exactly is going on, but she's been humming Taylor Swift, washing out plastic bowls, and seems to be having a lovely time. So, uh, let's see what she's up to. I shake it off, I, I. Yep, I am singing Shake It Off by Taylor Swift. It's been in my head all day because I am making some maracas, also known as rumba shakers. Now, maracas are a hand percussion instrument usually played in pairs and common in the Caribbean, Latin America, and South American music. Maracas are a rattle instrument and they would have traditionally been made of gourds or different kind of shells. They would have been made out of the skin of a dried vegetable that has been emptied and dried. Nowadays, you can find maracas in loads of different materials. Wood maracas, fibre maracas, plastic maracas, you name it, somebody has made a maraca out of it. Now, today we're going to make plastic maracas out of our recycling bin. So we're reusing some materials that we already have lying around. So you need two Two plastic bottles, best to be the same shape, but they don't need to be. And I've rinsed mine and I have removed the label. Now the first thing you want to do is decorate the plastic bottle. This is going to be the outside of the top of your maraca. I've used masking tape and I just pop the masking tape all around it because you can draw on masking tape and then I've painted it. I've gone for a nice red and once my layer of red has dried, I've done some little dot paintings with my fingers. So 
Once you've decorated your beautiful maraca, then you want to fill it with something that is going to sound nice when it shakes. Now, you could use something like a button or a bead, and traditionally, in the old days, a maraca would have been filled with dried beans. So I'm going to use some dried beans. You could also use rice or a type of crushed pasta called orzo. So let's add some dried beans to our maraca. You don't want to fill it to the top because you want there to still be room for shaking. So fill it probably about a quarter of the way. And then you want to twist the cap back on. Then get a toilet paper roll and cut lengthways down one side and unfurl it. Remember when you use scissors to get an adult to help you. And then add double-sided sticky tape around the outside of the bottle cap and put your unfilled toilet roll around it. And this is going to be your handle. Make sure it's super secure. Add a little bit of extra tape as well. Um, if you have an adult who wants to use a glue gun, you could also use a glue gun here to really reinforce it. I'm reinforcing mine as well by filling the handle with scrunched paper and covering the end in tape. Just makes it a little bit more sturdy. And then you can decorate this with pens, pencils, crayons, if you have any of the fancy coloured tapes as well. I've got loads of ribbons left over from Christmas, so to the end of mine I'm adding some ribbons just to make it look extra fancy. Once you've done all this, now for the fun part, you are ready to shake it. Shall we have a listen? It sounds really good, doesn't it? Shake it up, shake it up, beautiful sound and different materials will make different sounds as well so if you fill it with something else you might get a different sound they are so fun to shake i feel like i could walk into encanto right now and just be part of that film it's so fun do you want to have a go, Bex? Did you know that the maracas are believed to be the inventions of the Tainos? That's the indigenous people of Puerto Rico. It was originally made from the fruit of the higuera tree, which is round in shape. Remember, there's loads of episodes of Activity Quest that you can go back and listen to anytime. If you're after some more suggestions of stuff to do, just scroll back in your podcast app and pick an episode you fancy. Whatever you do, and however you do it, tell us at funkidslive.com slash activityquest. And remember to rate, review, and follow this pod wherever it is you're listening to it. I'm Bex, and this has been a podcast from the UK's children's radio station, Fun Kids. It was produced and edited by Adam Stoner, with additional editing from Meg Long. Listen to me on your DAB digital radio, online, on the free Fun Kids mobile app, and on your smart speaker. Just say, play Fun Kids every weekday from 4pm. See you soon.